0: Section six, Chapter Four, Part Two of the Life and Adventures of Kit Carson. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Lynn Thompson. The Life and Adventures of Kit Carson by DeWitt C. Peters. Section six, Chapter Four, Part Two. Thus ended an adventure in which kit carson considers that he failed to lose his life and limb by the narrowest miss that ever occurred to him Although he has killed much more than his quantum of this kind of game and has gained what is a practical advantage to every western hunter To wit a knowledge of all their abilities with which they enforce sway Kit carson regards this adventure in the light of a warning It is a warning too which he never allows himself to forget consequently whenever he has hunted since he watches as closely for signs of mr Bruin as he does for the game he seeks It would therefore be a difficult matter for the bears again to surprise him Some of the most desperate battles on record between hunters and wild animals are narrated of encounters with the bear tribe several years ago a Mexican by the name of armador sanchez still well known in the rocky mountains as a brave and skilful hunter had a fight with a bear which lasted several hours this terrible battle ended by both the combatants being laid prostrate upon the ground so completely exhausted as to be utterly unable to reach each other from the want of physical strength in this condition they spent one night and on the following morning when the brave mexican hunter had recovered sufficiently to be able to creep to his antagonist, he found him dead this close conflict grew out of the hunter's noble daring in endeavoring to save the life of a mexican boy whom at the instant the hunter attacked the beast the bear was about to tear into pieces at one time the bear had the youth in his terrible clutches in such a manner that it was impossible for him to plant a shot in any vital organ but nothing daunted With the rifle and revolver, he lodged several bullets in other parts of the fierce monster. Still the savage animal clung to the unfortunate boy, endeavouring to tear him to pieces, and horribly mangling him in every part of his body. The noble hunter could resist no longer, and dropping his pistols and rifle, he drew his sheath-knife and slingshot, and after winding his blanket around his left arm to protect it, Rushed in and compelled the animal to turn upon him Wounds were freely given and returned but the wary Mexican fought with such dexterity and determination That the bear finally became so mad with pain and rage that by a tremendous effort with one blow of his powerful paw He knocked the brave hunter headlong upon the ground where he lay some time before recovering his breath Instead of following up his advantage the brute doubtless being deceived because the man did not move Commenced examining and licking his own bleeding wounds, but the brave hunter had now got his spirit so completely up That he determined to conquer his antagonist or die Early in the fight by a blow from his slingshot he had succeeded in breaking the bear's lower jaw This had greatly disabled the animal and undoubtedly was the successful wound which eventually gave Sanchez the victory When he felt himself sufficiently rested he renewed the fight and by adopting various manoeuvres in which he was greatly assisted by some adjacent trees Succeeded in putting in several telling blows with his knife again the animal became aroused to madness unendurable and gathering himself up for a final effort succeeded in planting a terrible blow on the hunter's head which once more brought him to the ground from this blow and the previous loss of blood the brave man fainted entirely away how long he remained in this state he could not tell but on becoming again conscious he found that the victory was on his side for the bear had already breathed his last the poor boy notwithstanding his wounds as soon as the battle was decided and as he supposed at the cost of his friend life started for a neighboring fort and reaching it the following morning reported the affair a party of men well armed immediately marched to the rescue they found the brave hunter in a most pitiful condition with his flesh terribly mangled his clothes torn into ribbons and his back and shoulders one mass of lacerated wounds his reason had already become unseated In his native language he would call out to his now visionary foe if you are a brave man come on Although the most delicate care and assistance was rendered to Sanchez It was many weeks before he was able to resume his occupation And even then he owed his life to the wonderful recuperative powers of his healthy and iron Constitution had the fact been otherwise he could not have survived his injuries one more brave heart must have yielded its last drop of heroic blood in defense of youthful weakness This picture because it does not exaggerate the facts we leave with regret for it is a pleasure to contemplate such nobility of character Whatever be the name which declares the governmental allegiance of the hero It is not going beyond the bounds of truth to assert that the grizzly bear of the Rocky Mountains is as formidable an enemy as the hunter is called upon to meet Wherever the hunting ground and whatever the animal which opponents to our assertion may set up When caught out in the open prairie where he can be attacked on horseback and lassoed, The chances are against the bear but in a broken country woe to his assailants Unless life is saved by some trick or happy fortune a lucky shot a telling blow like Sanchez's with his slingshot or the fanciful drumming such as was kits on the noses of his antagonists or some other equally singular and unlooked-for expedient the weight of one of these monsters often runs as high as fifteen hundred pounds and their forepaws which they can manage with the greatest dexterity frequently measure fourteen inches the courage sagacity and skill invariably evinced by this species of bear when engaged in a fight is not equalled by any other wild animal on the face of the globe not excepting the lion we take pleasure in here giving further publicity to the careful research and plain truths which have emanated from the pen of that distinguished and successful traveler dr. Livingston the new ideas which appear in his pages in regard to the courage of the king of beasts have served in a measure to correct the general impression and to bring down from his high stilted hyperbole the courage sagacity and terrible power of the lion which he states are overrated we do not desire to contradict published statements any farther than our own personal knowledge extends hence we give our authority for our statements in regard to the lion very well satisfied ourselves with dr livingstone's love of truth and earnest candor so much for the lion our statements in regard to the rocky mountain grizzly bear rest upon our own knowledge and investigation gathered in his own haunts and on his own wild domain and as such are given upon our own responsibility because brave american woodsmen can readily conquer the monarch of the american forest and because the chicken-hearted afric son or dweller trembles before the steady glare of the afric king of beasts ergo his bearship must in popular opinion play subordinate to his lionship for the sake of truth we should like to see the spanish arena once open for a fighting encounter between a rocky mountain bear and an african lion full and native-grown specimens of each the bull fights all good men abhor but such a battle would serve to set at rest a fast-growing doubt among naturalists and so far would prove available to science and the cause of truth we would readily stake a purse on the bear with the indians of the west who live mostly by hunting among whom nine out of ten would single-handed readily face a score of native lion spearsmen and we verily believe put them to flight a Man is considered a great brave who alone will undertake to kill a grizzly bear If he succeeds which is very rarely the case his fortune in his tribe is made once and for all The reputation he gains will cling to and follow him into his grave and form one of the chief burdens of the tradition which bears his name to posterity the indians usually hunt and attack him in large parties and when the contest becomes really earnest it requires a most immoderate amount of yelling and fierce cry from the onset to keep their bravery up in fighting trim the victory is seldom gained without the sacrifice of several lives the mounted hunter almost invariably finds it a difficult task to bring his charger, even within shooting range of this kind of game, on an untrained or young horse. The accomplishment of this feat is next to an impossibility, for instinct seems to teach them the true character of the game, even though they approach it for the first time. Footnote: The author once saw thirty brave and determined men in pursuit of an old grizzly bear and her two cubs near the headwaters of the arkansas river in vain they urged their horses to the chase not a single steed in the entire band could be induced to run for the game the old bear was quite thin and her young nearly half grown and were very fleet of foot the chase lasted for about three miles but not a man present was able to obtain a shot because their riding animals were so completely frightened as to be almost unmanageable consequently the bears made good their escape the last that was seen of them was their dim outlines as they traveled leisurely up a deep ravine End of footnote Darkness closed in about kit carson before he could reach his camp and indeed the sky was so cloudy That it was with great difficulty. He found his way to it The idea of sending out a pack animal for the elk was out of the question Therefore the whole party went supperless to bed in the morning they breakfasted upon a beaver found in one of their traps for they well knew that long before daylight the prowling wolves had feasted upon the elk hence they resigned it without a visit the flavor of the meat of the beaver is not very palatable and the trappers rarely use it never when they can do better not so with its tail to this they are very partial and when properly boiled it is indeed a great delicacy Believing that Bridger would visit this place, Kit ordered his men to make a permanent camp. Kit's sagacity was not at fault in this hypothesis, for in fifteen days this famous old mountaineer made his appearance, accompanied by his whole band. The two parties once more consolidated and started for the summer rendezvous, which was appointed to be held on the Green River. Upon their arrival at this place, they found congregated All the principal trappers of the Rocky Mountains. They were divided into two camps and numbered about two hundred men. The objects which brought them thus together were the disposal of their fur and the purchase of supplies. When all the parties had reported their arrival, the trading commenced and was conducted upon a basis which gave general satisfaction. The most exorbitant and fabulous prices ruled for such articles as the mountaineers required sugar and coffee. Brought two dollars the pint powder the same and ordinary blankets were sold at fifteen and twenty-five dollars each Coffee sugar and even flour were luxuries not every day indulged in by the hardy mountaineers They seldom partook of such dainties Not more frequently than two or three times in the year and then merely as rare treats Their standard food was game and wild vegetables when in their season this meeting of the trappers continued in progress during two months it was then dissolved and once more the bold mountaineers formed into bands of a size convenient for trapping and started out to engage in the fall hunt kit carson joined a party of fifty men which was bound for the country occupied by the blackfeet indians and which lies on and adjacent to the headwaters of the missouri river the party met with very poor success in catching beaver but had their fill of annoyances from the tribe of savages already referred to Finally the state of affairs between the trappers and the Indians became so desperate That a white man could not leave his camp and go a distance of a single mile alone without being fired upon So completely and untiringly was their camp surrounded and watched by this wily and dangerous tribe of Indians this state of affairs led them to the determination to quit the country as the trapping season was far advanced with this line of policy they began to march and in the month of november eighteen thirty two arrived on the banks of the big snake river where they established winter quarters and remained until the subsequent february during these winter months the quiet monotony of their life was unexpectedly broken in upon by a band of their old enemies the blackfeet indians taking advantage of an unusually dark night they entered the camp and succeeded in running off eighteen of their horses in consideration of their leniency displayed towards them when they were engaged trapping in their own country then merely acting on the defensive this act on the part of the savages appeared to the trappers more than they ought peaceably to bear such appeared to be the general opinion and it was determined that a party should be sent out to recover the property and inflict a chastisement upon the hostile savages which they would not soon forget Kit Carson with eleven men to accompany him was selected for this delicate but highly important service Having prepared everything for the route the party started and after fifty miles of sharp riding through the snow came up with the savages The progress of the Indians had been fortunately Considerably retarded by the necessity of breaking a path through the deep snow Which had but very recently fallen? The Trappers instantly made an attempt to recover their animals which were found grazing on the side of the hill the Indians having previously come to a halt In doing this shots were exchanged by both parties without effect The savages had on snowshoes which gave them considerable advantage over the trappers After some maneuvering the Indians asked for a parley which was granted on these occasions It is customary for one man from each party to advance to a spot about halfway between the contending parties and there have a talk The rascals through their representative informed the trappers through their representative That they had supposed that they had been committing a robbery upon the snake Indians and that they did not desire to steal from the white men The trappers believing these tales to be false Considered this a mere ruse on the part of the Indians to make them unwary of passing events however They put the very natural query to them why if they were so friendly disposed They did not follow out their usual custom and on seeing them approach lay down their arms and advanced to meet their white brothers So that they might have a smoke together and talk over their difficulties and thus amicably settle matters Their replies to this query contained nothing but evasions Finally however it having been mutually agreed upon both parties disarmed marched to the place where their representatives were talking the calumet was then prepared lighted and handed around to each person present It being puffed once or twice by every one of the savages and every one of the whites the council then commenced the Head men among the savages led off by making several lengthy and unmeaning speeches in their replies the trappers came directly to the point point. And said they could hear no overtures for peace until their property was restored to them. The Indians, upon hearing this demand several times repeated, began to presume upon their strength, assuming an overbearing demeanor. After considerable talk among themselves, they sent out and brought in five of the poorest horses, declaring that it was the only number they could return. The trappers, on hearing this, ran for their arms. When the Indians instantly started for theirs. The fight was now renewed by both parties. Kit Carson, in the rush made for the rifles, and one of his companions named Markheed succeeded in getting hold of their weapons first, and consequently they formed the advance in the return to the contest. They selected for their antagonists two Indians who were close together, but who were partially concealed behind their separate trees. As Kit was on the point of raising his rifle to fire, he saw by a quick side glance at markhead that he was working at the lock of his gun without paying attention to his adversary who was aiming at him with almost a certainty of killing him kit instantly changed the direction of his rifle and fired sending a bullet through the heart of markhead's adversary but in thus saving the life of his friend he was obliged for the instant to neglect his own adversary a quick glance showed him the fellow sighting over his rifle And that the mouth of the indian's gun covered his breast Upon the instant he endeavoured to dodge the bullet, but he was unsuccessful in doing so completely It struck him in such a way that first cutting the skin of his neck and glancing it passed through his left shoulder The head of the bone of the arm in the shoulder was shattered, but fortunately the main artery of the arm escaped injury Notwithstanding his wound kit immediately endeavoured to reload his rifle In this effort he was unsuccessful for his left arm hung powerless by his side He was obliged therefore to remain a mere spectator during the remainder of the fight When being overcome by the loss of blood and the consequent fast increasing weakness He threw himself upon the ground the fight continued to be hotly contested by both the trappers and Indians Until gradually the firing ceased when the trappers drew off and went into camp they did not dare to light any fires as they would inevitably bring the Indians upon them with nothing But their saddle blankets to protect them from the bitter cold even the safe and sound members of the party suffered severely Kit's condition failed not to arouse the heartfelt sympathy of his friends for there was not one among them Who would not have readily risked life and limb to save kits But his condition was most critical at the least he was in the most unenviable condition His wounds bled profusely and the blood as it oozed out froze to the rude dressings This undoubtedly in the final result was beneficial to him as the cold acted as a partial check upon the hemorrhage It was however none the less painful to endure He bore his agonizing sufferings without a single murmur exhibiting impatient fortitude and resignation the same brave spirit and dauntless courage which distinguished him in every action Not once did a single complaint escape from his lips Had he received this wound within the pales of civilization with its concomitant constitution? He might never have recovered the use of his arm in spite of the pure air and with a constitution in the best possible trim After all danger from hemorrhage had passed his chances to recover were favorable and Finally resulted in giving him once more the full use of his arm That night the trappers held a council it was decided that although the result of the fight had been that they had given the Indians a sound thrashing There having been several braves killed while they had suffered only in one wounded They were nevertheless not then strong enough to pursue the savages farther. They adopted therefore the policy of returning to the camp and reporting their progress On their arrival a council was immediately called and their adventures duly rehearsed The result was that a second party was immediately organized comprising 30 men Under the command of Bridger this party followed the trail for some days, but returned to camp without finding the savages They after their late engagement had made their way as fast as possible into distant parts a short time after this the weather moderated and it was time for the spring hunt This was now commenced and continued quite active for several weeks on the green and snake rivers The success of the trappers was far beyond their most sanguine expectations Beaver fur seemed absolutely to rain down upon them The season having passed they went into summer rendezvous on the banks of the Green River This was brought about by the arrival of the traders with their supplies The whole force of trappers therefore again rested until the first week of September when they again broke up their camp for the fall hunt some time previous to this last named event kit carson having recovered from the effects of his wounds Was very reluctantly drawn into an affair of honor The circumstances of this occurrence we will give in detail for two reasons It was an event in kit carson's life and therefore is required at our hands But it serves to exhibit the manner of the dwello among these western mountaineers which throws around the circumstance the importance of an example in their manners and customs By itself so far as kit Carson was concerned it was of very little importance serving, but little in his opinion to adorn the story of his life Among the men congregated at the rendezvous there was a captain shunan a powerful Frenchman The captain was exceedingly overbearing in his intercourse with all around him Upon the slightest pretext he was sure to endeavor to involve some of the trappers in a quarrel The result was that he was heartily despised by all although for the sake of peace. He was allowed to go unmolested One day his conduct was particularly offensive to the entire command For after having had two fistfights with a couple of weak and inoffensive men He commenced boasting that he could easily flog all the Frenchmen present And as to the Americans he said that he could cut a stick and switch them Such actions and manners at last attracted Kit Carson's notice and caused him to be greatly annoyed He thought the matter over and concluded that if Captain Shunan was allowed to gather many more such detestable laurels He would soon become even more bold and troublesome As no other members of the company seemed disposed to put a check upon such unmanly behavior He quietly determined to make the affair his own an Opportunity soon presented itself a number of the company had congregated together and were engaged in conversation When Captain Shunan began anew his bullying language this time a little more boisterous than usual Kit Carson advancing into the center of the company and placing himself in front of the captain thus addressed him Shunan Before you stands the humblest specimen of an American in this band of trappers among whom there are to my certain knowledge Men who could easily chastise you but being peaceably disposed They keep aloof from you at any rate I assume the responsibility of ordering you to cease your threats or I will be under the necessity of killing you to this captain Shunan did not reply but immediately after Kit Carson had closed his remarks He turned upon his heel and walked directly for his lodge Kit Carson was too well versed in trapper rules not to read the meaning of this action He therefore walked off also, but in the direction of his own lodge In a brief space of time both men appeared before the camp each mounted on their respective horses The affair had drawn together the whole band and they were now quietly so many witnesses of the facts here recorded Captain Shunan was armed with his rifle. Kit Carson had taken merely a single barred dragoon pistol, which happened to be the first weapon that had fallen in his way because of his hurry to be on the ground. The two men now rode rapidly towards one another until their horses' heads almost touched, when both horsemen reined up, and Kit Carson addressed Captain Shunan as follows: Am I the person you are looking for? Captain Shunan replied: No. It was apparent that this reply of Captain Shunan was a falsehood for while giving it utterance. He raised his rifle in the act of shooting Bringing it to his shoulders and covering his antagonist. Before however Captain Shunan could discharge his gun the ball from Kit Carson's pistol shattered his forearm causing the rifle to tilt upwards, Which changed the direction of its contents in such a way that Kit Carson received a wound in his scalp while the powder severely burned his face it was the universal opinion of the spectators of this unhappy scene that both parties fired nearly at the same instant. The facts of the case show very plainly, first, that Captain Shunan's intent was to kill his antagonist. Why did he aim at Kit Carson's breast? Second, that Kit Carson's shot was delivered perhaps a second or two in advance of Captain Shunan's. Third, that Kit Carson did not desire to kill his antagonist but merely to save his own life by disabling his adversary The fact that his shot struck first and hit captain Shunan's right arm is sufficient proof of this when Kit Carson's well-known and Indisputable skill with all kinds of firearms is taken into the account and that notwithstanding this skill He hit his adversary in one of only two places his right or left arms Which would have rendered his aim with the rifle uncertain The statement that kit carson did not intend to kill his adversary becomes an incontrovertible fact Last had kit carson not gained a second in advance in the firing. He would have lost his life Inevitably and the emphatic. No the lie of his antagonist would have been crowned with success Such plain deception seldom is allowed to triumph by an all-wise providence in judging kit carson in this matter the reader will commit an ungenerous error if he fails to allow to be placed in the balance of judgment the stirring deeds and daily hair-breadth risk kit carson during so many years of his eventful life was constantly called upon to take a part in and undergo we take leave of this unfortunate scene in his life feeling confident a just public opinion will see in it no cause to pluck from the brow of kit carson any of the laurels which it has been called upon a place there as a man of truth honor virtue and reverence for the laws of his country Kit Carson has few equals and no superior among Americans it needed not this incident to establish his courage That had long been proven to be undoubted Nor did the result elate his feelings in the least he met his companions without a smile and Invariably expressed his regrets that he felt it to be his duty for the good order and peace of the camp to interfere in the matter. On the other hand, when he espoused the cause of the majority in maintaining the right, he was not a man to be easily thwarted. When the affair was ended, Kit was congratulated and received the thanks of nearly every individual present, for each felt that a load of the most vexatious and troublesome responsibility had been taken from his shoulders. The good fellowship immediately introduced into the camp was also a circumstance of mark the wounded man was carried to his quarters and every attention shown him in the power of his companions his punishment had the effects completely to subdue him these duels among the old trappers of the rocky mountains were not very unfrequent occurrences men situated as they were beyond the reach of the mighty arm of the law find it absolutely necessary to legislate for themselves it is not within our province to advocate either the right or the wrong of duelling for with the best of reasoning there will always exist a difference of opinion on the subject in the case of these mountaineers when any serious offense was given the man receiving the injury to body or fame held the right of demanding satisfaction the interests of the entire band required an immediate settlement of difficulties so that their future plans could be carried out in concert in their dealings with each other, they were strictly honorable, and when by any mischance a rogue crept into their ranks, if detected in any rascality, he was summarily and severely dealt with. Their duels were serious events, for oftentimes both men were killed. In fact, the case could hardly be otherwise. They were men of unflinching courage, and their weapons were generally rifles, which, from long practice, they held with a certain and deadly aim. We cannot better close this passage in the life of Kit Carson, than to quote the language held in 1846, by the biographer of the great explorer, John Charles Fremont. He, Christopher Carson, is a remarkably peaceable and quiet man, temperate in his habits and strictly moral in his deportment. In a letter written from California in 1847, introducing Carson as the bearer of dispatches to the government, Colonel Fremont says, With me Carson and truth mean the same thing he is always the same gallant and disinterested He is kind-hearted and averse to all quarrelsome and turbulent scenes and has never been engaged in any mere personal broils or encounters Except on one single occasion which he sometimes modestly describes to his friends His narrative is fully confirmed by an eye-witness of whose presence at the time he was not aware and whose account He has probably never seen or heard of I shall tell the story as it is gathered from them both The reader will easily correct the few discrepancies of facts contained in this statement by the narrative Which is from Carson himself and given with a view to publication in the year 1835 the Reverend Samuel Parker made an exploring and missionary tour under the auspices of the American Board of Commissioners for foreign missions beyond the Rocky Mountains and as far as the settlements on the Columbia River in His printed journal he gives an account of the incident to which I am referring it occurred on the 12th of August At a point on the borders of Green River beyond the South Pass and the occasion of a rendezvous That is on a spot selected for Indians trappers and hunters to bring to market their peltries and Obtain supplies from the agents of the fur companies there was a large concourse of savage tribes and all the various denizens of the wilderness. There were Frenchmen, Spaniards, Dutchmen, Canadians, and western backwoodsmen. The Reverend Mr. Parker happened to be there to witness the strange gathering. Of course, there were some rude characters, and not a little irregularity and disorder. Conflicts were liable to arise between quarrelsome persons, growing out of the feuds among the tribes, and animosities between the representatives of different nations. All actuated by pride of race or country. A hunter named Shunan, a Frenchman who was well known by the title of big bully of the mountains, mounted his horse with a loaded rifle and dashing defiantly around challenged any person of any nationality to meet him in single combat. He boasted of his exploits and used the most insulting and irritating language and was particularly insolent and abusive toward Americans. Whom described as only worth being whipped with switches Kit carson was in the crowd and his patriotic spirit kindled at the taunt He at once stepped forward and said I am an American the most trifling one among them But if you wish to die I will accept your challenge Shunan defied him Carson at once leaped upon his horse with a loaded pistol and both dashed into close conflict They fired almost at the same moment but Carson an instant the quickest the horse's heads touched Shunan's ball just gazed Carson's cheek near the left eye and cut off some locks of his hair Carson's ball entered Shunan's hand came out at the wrist and passed through his arm above the elbow The bully begged his life, and it was spared This put an effectual stop to all such insolent proceedings and Americans were insulted no longer Carson is still living, being yet, indeed, in his prime. His faithful commander has recorded his name in the geography of the continent by calling after him a river and a lake in the great basin they explored together. Footnote Charles Wentworth Upham End of Footnote End of Section 6 Chapter 4, Part 2